0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by Julie Stewart-Binks, whom American soccer fans got to know as a terrific host and sideline reporter for Fox Sports and ESPN. She fills me in on what she's doing now, including New York City stand-up comedy, and that returning to regular soccer work may be in her future as well. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! Our guest today is one of my favorite people in the soccer media in North America.
1: Julie Stewart-Banks, thanks yeah, for joining me. Grant, thank you so much. That was so sweet. You're one of my favorite people in the soccer media in North America as well. Thank
0: you. <laughs> and notice that I said North America, my Canadian friend. Mm-hmm. Didn't say U.S. media. Uh, but you're also one of my favorites in the U.S. media too. And are th- like a lot of soccer fans have gotten to know you in recent years. I first met you, I think it was the <laughs> fall of 2013. Yeah. Uh, when you were hosting on FS1, The
1: One for Fun. Yes, that's when it used to, it was Fox Sports 1 before it went to FS1, The One for Fun, Fox Soccer Daily was our hit show for about four and a half months until it is now dead and buried. Rest in peace.
0: But uh, that's how I met you. And then we worked together quite a bit um, Mm -hmm. over the following years, whether it was MLS or...
1: Gold Cup we did. Women's World Cup. Women's World Cup. All Uh, different events.
0: I recall you working, (laughs) I think it was something like 60 straight days on the road in the summer of 2015.
1: Yes. And I always remember, thank you, you you got me a massage (laughs) because you knew that I was so drained and dead and i remember that i was going crazy by then like i i was psycho by then so it really meant a lot that you helped me with my mental health and wellness
0: glad to have helped i think that was day 53 of your road (laughs) trip in philadelphia before the gold cup final not involving the u.s uh and uh i I looked at you and said you know what you're gonna get a massage my treat and i'm gonna get one too because (laughs) i've been on the road for like 30 days hey that's the best idea ever um and we have lots to talk about mm-hmm. because uh, you've done great work uh, in soccer journalism uh, for for Fox, for ESPN, uh, mostly in sideline reporting. A lot mm. of it, uh, and doing it far better than I ever did it, um, which is I mean totally serious here. Um, <laughs> and we miss you uh, uh-uh. in the soccer world uh, here in the U.S. because. Um, I thought you brought a lot to broadcasts on Fox, on ESPN, um, in terms of how you approached what I learned myself is a very difficult job Mm. of of sideline reporting. And before we get later to, why aren't you still with us since you were so good (laughs) at it? I was just curious to start, what did you experience and why, what did you learn about sideline reporting so that you were able to bring such an informative view to a broadcast
1: well i think it's an interesting position because it's very it's so much more difficult than people realize as you would know so you have your analyst and your play-by-play person who are really sort of painting the whole game and and they tell you what you're looking at but then background stories information about um you know strategy and that and all this stuff but as a sideline reporter you are trying so hard to get into the game like you are people don't realize this but so your microphone is closed and you can talk to your producer through it and you say hey i can add hey i got more on this like because you're always listening to the broadcast because you want to be able to whatever stories you already have planned and then stuff you see in here is you know, stuff you see in here is number one because that's why you're right down there but then you also i used to do before a game my own interviews. Um, maybe I would do five or six different players, and then I would. Maybe they're about ten minute interviews each. I'd whittle it down to one sentence that they would each say, mm-hmm. like, "Okay, Clint Dempsey, blank on this. This guy, this." Because you know, you also have very little time, and then you got a case okay, so of maybe you have your your six interviews, your one your one nugget on each, and then you rank them like one to six. And then maybe one of those things gets on air, right? Which is very difficult for your ego, sure. <laughs> and also for the amount of work that you put in. You're like, wait a second, this is all really great stuff. How's this not getting on? Um, and to me, like, I kind of I approached every game as if almost like I was playing in it. Like, hmm. I need to have a good performance. What can I do to be different? How can I enhance this? Sure, I could tell something that was. That's already been known and I kind of can add A little bit more about that but no like You have to make sure every every word And every time you're on air you, you are telling people something they don't know Like that they can't just look up online right Because you have the access and you're right there So then um, and credit To Katie Witham who always And I've said this before she always kept me Wanting to get better because um, when I worked at Fox, she and I kind of like split some games in my first year and I'd watch her and she just always was such she always did such a good job and made me better. And so I remember she would go talk to coaches on the sideline. She already had worked in the league for many years, had great relationships. So I thought, okay, Julie, you got to be doing this, too. And then I would make friends with trainers or assistant coaches and say, no, I need to have. If something happens, we need to give some more insight or whatnot. And the league is great. And all the teams have been, for the most part, very easy to deal with in when we say, Hey, I pushed it to the very limit in my last year (laughs) where I would say, Okay, excuse me, can I get like Greg Berhalter to talk to me at the thirtieth minute and the seventieth minute? And we kinda like, hmm. Okay, sure. But you gotta ask, right? Because you'd think there's no way a head coach would talk to you in the middle of a playoff game right. or lo and behold, an MLS Cup final, but you just you have to push it. And you know me, like I would push it so hard to just like like we're down there for a reason. I need to get the latest and most relevant information. This is and especially so.
0: where you were better at this than I was, because um,
1: You know, like you definitely
0: do your prep work and you got to do that and you got your nuggets coming in, but you have always been fearless about during a game going to places where you're not even really supposed to go sometimes. (laughs)
1: And Uh, women's World Cup that (laughs) that
0: got to me, (laughs) and and it's awesome. And you know, I just myself like never totally did that enough. But like it, it really does provide something that no one else can provide. If you can get someone on the bench, Mm -hmm. whether it's an assistant or even a head coach, to explain like here's why we're making the change right now, and I can tell you exactly what they're thinking.
1: Yeah, and I mean. Alexi Lawless, when I worked at Fox, really let me handle kind of a lot of the subs, even though I'm not a former U.S. international soccer player or Canadian for that matter. And but to be honest, getting to like when I would say, you know, assistant coach, uh, you know, whoever that might be. I needed to explain this change, I would use that as an opportunity to ask other questions to them. Okay, wait a second, like I see this guy over here, da 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 and it would just be like just a way to get them close and then pepper them with other stuff and who knows what kind of comes out from that. And so but then it also because they already know you're gonna come over at some point, I would then go over at other times. Mm-hmm. And I think it um I don't know, it's a it's a role that is very pivotal in a broadcast, but it's also a role that can be cut so you want to make sure you're not cut like okay you know you might be you might do a great pregame hit that was solid Nah, not really that riveting you might do a nice two questions at halftime cool we didn't really learn that much but we got caleb porter on air and then you might do a nice postgame interview where the guy said literally nothing but we did it and you're like that's not good enough yeah. like that's 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 the standard then then of course this job would get cut someday. So we gotta go further. We gotta go more. And I like that. Like I felt great after a broadcast. If I brought something where it was unique, it was interesting, it was different, your head's on a swivel, you're looking at, you know, what you're basically just like a you're like a crime reporter or something. You're like, what's going on with here? Like I got the clues, like what's gonna happen? And and I found that really exciting. It gave me adrenaline and and it was It was great, but I mean, you don't get that every game, like in an MLS game in April, you know, (laughs) it's not always that exciting, so.
0: We're going to talk more about adrenaline later on here when we get (laughs) into what you're doing with stand-up comedy, which is fascinating to me. Um, One thing that stood out to me when I was doing sideline reporting is that... Because that adrenaline is going on with the people that you're covering, it's actually very different than from a print reporter's perspective where when I'm wearing that hat and I speak to somebody in a press conference or even in the locker room afterward, they've had a chance to cool down. Oh, yeah. Whereas I had a couple moments in the heat or just after the moment when something crazy had happened where I remember one particular, it was, uh, it was a Red Bulls-DC United game, rivalry game. And Jesse Marsh was the coach of the Red Bulls. And I went to school with Jesse Marsh. Like I'm, I'm friends wow. with Jesse Marsh. Okay. And yet he had some to-do, like, argument with Ben Olsen right after the game where things had gotten pretty heated. And so Jesse then comes on to my sideline interview right after the game. And my first question to him is, what just happened? Good. Perfect. <laughs> but no, like, <laughs> and, and Jesse kind of looks at me and goes, nothing and that, and that was it yeah. i was just like are you kidding me nothing. like and it was not the answer i was ex- necessarily expecting from but you don't know what you're going to get in a mm-hmm. heated adrenaline filled moment how often did you run into situations like that
1: all the time and i think that as you know you as a sideline reporter in that moment even though you're probably not going to get an answer you have to ask <laughs> that question because Probably the images on your TV are that is that that's what's going on, and that's the only thing someone at home cares about in that moment. They don't care whoever won or whoever scored a goal. They're like, what are they yelling at each other about? (laughs) And I had that. Speaking of, uh, you know, and we'll see him again this year. But when Caleb Porter was with Portland, um, him and Brad Evans were barking at each other right before halftime as they're walking off, and I was just gonna I was grabbing him, and they were yelling at each other, and I was just like. (laughs) why are you yelling at it? What are you yelling about? And he's just like, no, nothing. Right. Which is exactly what I thought he would respond. But everyone seeing that image right, right. there is wondering what's going on. So you just have to ask that question. And that's a thing. Like they don't harp part And you know, this is they don't want you around. They don't want you to be finding these things out or asking these questions. Right. But as I always tell them, like I have to do this stuff. I'm just trying to do my job. And when I did hockey and I covered, former Ducks head coach Randy Carlisle, you know, I'd say, oh, you know, what happened to Cam Fowler's leg? Oh, why are you asking me that question? You always ask me about injuries. Said, I'm just doing my job, right? And like people d- <laughs> and it's weird. You're like, we you have this this back and forth every day when you are a reporter with these coaches right. and, and whatnot and they they want to look good. They don't want their dirty laundry being aired out, but I want to air the dirty laundry out because that's what people want to know. And if, and we don't work for them or for the league, like we work for our networks. And so, yes, you have to understand, of course, there's a relationship and, you know, there's broadcast rights, there's all these things that factor into it. But at the end of the day, it's your job. And during the Women's World Cup, like I love that. Like that was the best experience I've ever had as a broadcaster ever. Very difficult, but. It just I took because there were so many uh, like there's so much red tape on you in every game you did because FIFA was just like, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. You're going to sit here. You can't go to the bathroom. You got to do this. I was like, no, I felt this like rebellious 13 year old. I'm like, no, I'm going to I'm going to get my information because (laughs) I you could like and I would almost disguise myself. It sounds so bad, but I would sneak around. The stadium. I uh, really. like have to. I'll never forget this. In a, it was a Norway. I think it was Norway. Um not England cuz I was able to I managed to make my way into like the tunnel for that which I was not allowed to nice. but I was yelling or I was in a Norway game I went up into the stands and I came down through where the tunnel was and I waited and I yelled at Evan Pelleru the head coach at the time <laughs> I was like "Heaven what happened to I forget what player it was like um Trina running I forget her her exact name and and he's like "Oh yeah Kaff calf lake injury, not coming back in second half. Boom. Okay, great. Nice. Got that information, but I had to run through the stands and yell at him through the tunnel. FIFA so makes you have an,
0: <laughs> a higher degree of difficulty to get to information because they literally don't let you stand at midfield. Mm-hmm. You have to be on the end lines, which makes it really hard.
1: Yeah, very difficult. Yeah. And I realized at the time, like, you know, my bosses weren't to be running through the stands to get like an injury update but like that's that's the goals I set on myself. Like I want to you know I, I'd always ask questions in press conferences and there's so many people that will not ask that tough question and you're like you know what I'm going to get I'll shot one way or another so <laughs> I'm just going to ask this.
0: And there was one thing you were doing that I thought was really cool and this is I think you maybe started this when you were at ESPN where some of the stuff that you didn't use during a game mm, yeah. you would Then film something afterward and then post it online because this is like good information. Right. And I thought that was brilliant. I had actually never seen that done before by a sideline person. Yeah,
1: it's kind of interesting. Like I had had so many good stories left over that didn't make it in the game and that's like... You know, that's. I even told my boss, I said, I hope you don't think I'm trying to troll you right now by being like, hey, look at all the info I had that didn't get on, but because the way the game moves, sometimes a story will happen in one moment, and then we're on to the next thing, and you don't go back to it, so I thought, hey, these are all really good bits, and I had one even, because then we thought, oh, digital is like, let's do this, like, let's, you know, put this up on the web and kind of things like that, you know, it was when, speaking back uh, again, when Clint had his whole heart issue, right. um, he gave advice to drew Moore when he went through his heart um, condition and surgery and all that and, and consulted him on everything. And it was such an in-depth relationship on that. And we didn't get to it in the game and no one had ever heard of it before. Mm. And I obviously cleared it with Seattle before it went on because that's, you know, information that drew Moore was telling me about Clint. And we Mm want to make sure that they were okay with it, which they were, and that didn't make it in the broadcast. So I thought, Hey, let's, this is a great story. This could be a story on com right now or anywhere. Sure. And if I don't tell it, like, someone else will tell it in a month or something. Right. That will come out. So then I just thought, here are my top three stories, and I just riff them all and... Um, Chris Wondolowski, who works, not the soccer player, but the digital reporter, content creator from yeah. ESPN, helped me film that stuff, and it was great. And then I had a lot of sideline reporters from other sports reach out and say, this is such a good idea, because every every sideline reporter feels that, oh, I didn't get in the game enough. It's the biggest
0: frustration, it I is. think, with the job.
1: It is. And, I, you know, people will say, oh, wow, like, <laughs> I... I, I this is what I hate is when I'm watching games with people and they say, Oh, sideline reporters are so useless. Like, they don't say anything. I said, No, that's just a preconceived notion that you have that when you see this usually female come on, Oh, she shouldn't. What's she doing taking away from the game? Like, a really weird old school social construct of women being used in broadcasting where no do you know how difficult it was for that broadcaster to get that one sentence on air like you have to fight like being like i remember yeah like being like come down to me come down to me come down to me i can add i can add i can add like yelling and i have to turn my mic down because they'd be like okay (laughs) we need to do other stuff but yeah so it's frustrating but then when you do get on you're on you can't mess up like that's your one chance to do your stuff show us why you should be on. And so that's why you push the boundaries. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess the question that a lot of people in the soccer community would have is we, you know, got to know you and your work as a sideline reporter and, you know, you seem to enjoy it. We enjoyed following what you were doing, <laughs> why do you do it anymore?
1: <laughs> well, I may do it again in Yay! the future. Um, yeah, I definitely miss doing it. I, you know, we met obviously through it. I met so many great people, worked with, I work with such great people and I've always, I always put this out there whenever I did games or even whatnot but MLS and the soccer players the coaches the front offices were always just so respectful and I never felt uncomfortable I never felt unwanted I always felt that they really wanted me around and just never this you know you hear about awful stories in other sports I never felt that in MLS which was great and I loved my weekends all the time Um, Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I think we all learn in life like it's kind of like sliding doors, right? Like you make one decision and you go one way, but then maybe you end up back sort of in the place that you're supposed to be. Um, I would love to cover the league again if anyone's listening and needs someone to report or sideline report. um, I would certainly take that call and want to be back in it because also when you cover it, like you just get to know everyone so well and you know mm. stories and you know the background of these players and their lives and their families and everything like that and the history. And you can't just like, you can dive into something like that you don't know very well, but it's it's a lot better when you know it and you know the people. and so um yeah if any one of the networks called me up I'd say yeah <laughs> I'm like who's listening right now um I am wearing a shirt that says call my agent so <laughs> you can do that no but um but yeah I who knows what the future holds but I'd love to cover soccer again and, and MLS for sure um you were at Barstool yes for a while mm-hmm. what was that like uh it was interesting it was obviously very different from reporting and. You know, a lot of people ask me why I left Silent Reporting and, and what not to go there. First of all, I would love to host again. Like, you know, you said you met me on Fox Soccer Daily. Like, I loved that. I love hosting soccer. I think people like what Rob Stone does and, um, you know, Dan and Sebastian Salazar and, and Adrian Healy, all the hosts. Like, I love hosting mm-hmm. and... I would really like to work into that space going forward Mm -hmm. and sideline reporting, but take on more responsibility. So when I was approached with the idea of going to Barstool, there was a couple opportunities we were going to do that would involve me having more responsibility in actually a soccer space for a network on a digital side, which it didn't work out. It didn't. Nothing came from that. And that's why I will never mention really what it was. But that was something that really drew me there. And I also worked with Michael Davies, as people would know, from Embassy Row and Men in Blazers on a college football tailgate show. So and I've loved Michael's work. I think he's brilliant and I like him as a person. So I want to work there for that. But I think that the space, if anyone knows who I am and sort of my background, who. I'd like to be known for is probably not the right place for me to be was barstool. And so I totally understand and respect what they've been able to do in their space. And they're, they're such a sticky brand. And when I walk down the street in New York, I, I get approached all the time by people who are Mm -hmm. barstool fans, um, more so than any other network I've ever worked for. It's interesting. Ever. It's wild. People, you know come up to me all the time so you understand how sticky that brand is i think it's different being um and i can only speak to my experience right. obviously but i think it's different working for the brand and consuming the brand so yeah it just i think it worked out best for both of us uh, the show i worked on is doing great on sirius xm Barstool breakfast and i'm doing great so <laughs> good so good. yeah but but it gave me perspective on then like getting to try different things you see what is it you like about these things? What do you not like about them? And then having some time off now to figure out where I want to go towards, you get to see where the industry is going. Like you... We're never really afforded this opportunity to say, Hey, I'm gonna press pause on my career and see, wait, what are the cool things that are happening? You know, what you know, we've mentioned other places like, oh, what's DaZone doing in a digital space with soccer internationally? You know, what's B in sports doing? What are all these different places? What's the gambling atmosphere like? What's esports like? And so you, me, as like a broadcaster who's thirty-one, I'm almost like I'm at this weird sort of fork in the road of you can go and do local sports and you could be a sports anchor here in New York, uh, you know, work for, I'm like, you can just label all these places that I'm sure they would hire me. Yeah. Right. But like you could work for SNY, you could work for NBC local or whatever, or you can do something completely different and work for some of these streaming places. And obviously MLS is doing a lot of stuff like that too. And I've gotten to freelance for them. So it's hard because we know, we don't know where everything's going and it might be five years until these things are sort of really up and and Adam but you know even places like ESPN plus like there and and Taylor and Mark doing and and Alejandro doing MLS rewind which is great and also having a gambling component in there I think is huge and I think that for what I've heard for ESPN plus it's only just gonna get bigger with soccer rights so soccer is a great place to be in and that's why as a fan and as a broadcaster, I wouldn't leave that world ever. I would say
0: also, too, like, you broke news as well when you were doing what you're doing. I remember during the strike, <laughs> or the near strike in, I guess it was early 2015,
1: what did you break about? You broke something, like, yeah, important. Yeah, about the, uh, the CVA being finished. That was a big yeah. deal. Like, <laughs> it was, I, like, it, my first ever MLS tweet. No, I'm joking. Um, But, like, I hadn't even started covering the league yet, and it just worked out that the contacts I had after I had been pushing them on it, I just got it five more minutes, not even, 25 seconds before someone else, you know? So, you still got it. And uh, and that was a great way to sort of like break onto the league and into the scene, and I liked, you know... You, breaking news is is good and bad. It's like you get the craziest high from it, but then uh. everyone hates you, <laughs> and like literally, you're the only person that should feel good about it, but you feel bad about it because you're like, wait, like, uh, did I do something wrong? Because no one no one is happy. Maybe your boss is because you you did it for the network. So, um, but it is it's it shows you've got journalistic chops, which yeah, you know, coming from that's my background and that's what I I like to be. I like as a facet of like who I am as a broadcaster. So I haven't broken any news in a while. And it's funny because I'm not in. I mean, I'm currently just freelancing and trying to figure out my future. So I have heard break, like, I have gotten scoops on stuff and I just let it go you should put that stuff out oh, yeah. on Twitter <laughs> you should I'm like am I like do I do this anymore but yeah that's how you kind of get back into the scene is yeah. information is is capital so that's really funny um,
0: so I want to ask you about your fascinating stand up
1: oh yeah
0: uh, stuff you're doing which is you're I you put in a lot of time. I yeah, I
1: realized this the other day how much time I've dedicated toward it. So what's your story with it? How did this happen? Yeah, okay. So I mentioned to you before, but so I started doing improv comedy at Upright Citizens Brigade in New York. If mm-hmm. anyone's ever thinking about doing improv or you you're fascinated by it, it is such a great tool. No, it's not to does you don't have to be an actor. There's no such thing as being. Like getting paid to be an improviser even unless you're on SNL which is like obviously not going to happen but it's so great in terms of just getting more comfortable in front of people and and listening and responding so that's all that it's about and so I started doing it last January and then in the first couple levels you get a suggestion from the audience and you have to do a monologue based off the suggestion could be um, rug or cup right and you have to think oh okay I've got a story about Oh my dog throwing up on the rug and so you go up and you you tell the story that has to have some kind of meaning about it and I always was a person who would go up and tell these stories these monologues and people came to me and said you know what you tell great stories you have a presence on stage why wouldn't you do stand up and I thought oh sure that's like the next step I guess. Also, though, in the back of my head, I've never wanted to do stand-up comedy. This has (laughs) never been a goal of mine. And so I took a class with Caroline's, which is a comedy place in New York, which was great. Every week we would go with a couple minutes of new material. And I just started with stories. Like, what are some weird stories? And if anyone follows me on Instagram, you'll know that I like to pick out weird things in my life that... (laughs) Happen and I realized I was doing Instagram stories with a punchline, like I was doing a bit, Mm -hmm. you know. And I would record something, and I would in my head be already structuring it like to have a punchline. And I thought, okay, well, you're kind of already doing this in a way, again, never wanting to do comedy. (laughs) And so (laughs) I did the class, performed at Caroline's in November, and as I expected, even though I thought I would retire after that, I'm like, no, I like this. I like this adrenaline high. I love having a response from people and we've talked about like in TV, you're just looking at a lens and there might be millions of people on the other side of that lens, but you don't even know, which is great because it helps you not get like super freaked out. At the same time, you don't get that instant response, which you would in live theater and comedy and performing. And so I did it again in January and then it kind of just snowballs where you think I have a five minute set. I have more ideas for jokes. I kind of know how to write in a way that feels natural to me. Is it the way I'm supposed to do it? I don't know. I'm still stumbling through this. But I had people reach out to me on Facebook saying, hey, can you do my show? And I'm not getting paid for any of this, obviously. I have to bring people to shows. So if anyone wants to come to a show, I need you there so I can go on. And then it honestly just clicked this past weekend. I did a show um, at the New York Comedy Club, which I requested to book. So you send in a video. It's like feel like I'm back trying to get a job in broadcasting again and I go on stage with Janine Garofalo who's an actress and comedian was headlining I was so nervous (laughs) I think I rehearsed my set 10,000 times in my head which if you've ever seen me on the sideline grant or anyone else out there I rehearse my hits over and over and over again and people say Shaw Brown our old my old um, producer from Fox who everyone would know in the soccer world is is a brilliant mind would say stop rehearsing so much because you're gonna mess up if you you, you know you if you mess up a line like as if it's so rehearsed you're not gonna be able to kind of get to the next line I said no I think this is I know how much how short of time we get we get like 30 to 40 seconds to tell a story so I thought you got to be you got to hit the nail on the head because you can't waffle you can't ramble you got to say Three sentences, essentially, perfectly. So if I rehearse that 500 times, (laughs) I'll say it right (laughs) once. And that's how comedies, that's how I approached comedy. So then just to get back, like, I have gone to tons of open mics now because that's where you test out your stuff to see if it works, like you know John Mulaney and Jerry Seinfeld don't just like go up and do their set and it's great like you have to try that out and maybe you'll hear I go to Laughing Buddha the climate lounge and I go like I went every day last week and it's it's hard because it's it's like the the worst just you're in a basement of like a dingy bar (laughs) with like a bunch of weirdos who also don't have work at four thirty on a Thursday. So you're like, who are these people? Everyone's like a little weird. And you go up and try your stuff. And for me, I just wanted to get comfortable doing it. Like, cause you're going up there and you're looking at people and you're trying to, it's different. It's not, you're not just looking at a camera. So then, but then Saturday when I did it, there was a moment that clicked where I thought, okay, I can do this. Wow. And I was like, and i mean the laughs help it, the room was amazing i got so many laughs right. i thought okay julie like let's let's keep doing this and so when people have asked me in my time off like what have you been doing to be honest, this has been a really nice deflection saying, like, I haven't been watching 18 hours of Netflix every day. <laughs> I've been doing stand-up comedy, which I also have been doing that, too. But I'm doing stand-up comedy, and people respect it because it's actually the hardest thing I've ever done. I sit, it scares the crap out of me.
0: I, I can never do it. I'll be honest.
1: The thing is, Grant, I think if you had a set in your head which you know, okay, I've got five f- jokes, essentially, and I know they're going to probably elicit some kind of response, you'd feel more comfortable.
0: Maybe, but I, I just feel like that's one of the most naked things you can do mm-hmm. is to go up on a stage where it's just you and making people laugh is, I, I just think that's something very difficult, but also you're putting so much of yourself yeah. out there in a situation like that, right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, And people, it's really interesting because some people will... It, it's so hard to tell what people will laugh at you know like uh. sometimes some jokes some of the jokes I wrote that would be like layups got crazy laughs where you'd think because you're trying to surprise people that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing you tell a, a setup and you're trying to go complete left turn and, and, and trick their way of thinking and that's what makes people laugh a lot of the time and these were pretty basic setups and they elicited crazy laughs whereas then some other stuff you're like that was really smart what I wrote and that took me like so long to perfect every single word i have in mind even just like i had one where um talking about uh canada legalizing weed and i had one of my lines was oh you know canada legalizing weed is like your mom quoting eminem it loses its cool factor and someone said why don't you say canada legalizing weed um uh makes Uh, it loses its, uh, the government being your drug dealer is like, uh, it it loses its cool factor. It's like your mom quoting Eminem. So putting the mom quoting Eminem in the last bit changes how people even respond to it. And you're just like, wow, it it is so hard to do. But having done it, I'm like, okay, I can do this. Not like I'm going to be like, have my own Netflix special, but I'd like to use it as a tool for whatever broadcast I end up with. Um, I'd like to use it in that regard. And to be honest, comedy and doing this and hearing other people's stories and seeing their lives because that's what comedy's all about. It's just like, oh, I'm, I have, I have a joke about being a sports broadcaster and how we do interviews in the locker room most <laughs> of the time and how that's like having a board meeting in a public restroom of a bus station <laughs> where no one cares, but they kind of hope you see their dick. <laughs> So, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this yes, podcast but, Yes you are But um, yeah because it's, it's really weird To be doing that in a locker room yes. Where guys are changing and you're like this is uncomfortable So and I spoke with some talent bookers afterwards They're like that's good That stuff is great because no one knows that And it's like but they kind of do Because they see the interviews on TV And they're like why is the guy doesn't He doesn't have a shirt on They're all in there while he's naked Like what is this So that's you kind of have to rely on your own your own background and i like that because then it's unique i know when i go up on stage no one else is telling that joke right because i have heard a lot of the same jokes and you're like oh god i would hate to go up and be like oh you just heard this five minutes ago but yeah that's fantastic yeah so anyways long story short and then it also made me think as much as i still would like to have sports and soccer and hockey and all the things i like going forward there's a big wide world out there. And I would love to host a late night show someday. And I've said that, like, I would love to be Jimmy Kimmel, like Jimmy Fallon. Okay, I know you guys are like, wow, that's that's really sad because that's never going to happen. But you think, if you don't say it and try to do it, these guys know how to do stand-up. They know how to write a monologue. They know how to, to find the funny. Well, then you have to know how to do that if you want that, so.
0: no, yeah, that makes total sense. It, it, on your Instagram, I've noticed that lately you've had... Like numbers mm. when you post video or, or photos from your sets where you have like 5 <laughs> slash 100. What is that about?
1: Uh, so I've decided to do 100 mics, like 100 either open mics and shows all together because wow. I'd like to do it this year, wow. which means I probably have to go right now and do like 5 tonight. <laughs> <laughs> My friend last year did uh, 100, she ate 100 burgers in one year and she documented each burger and I thought, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to do that for the and it keeps it it, it holds you accountable because Mm -hmm. then well now I've committed to this everyone's going to ask me about it Um, but but I had a comedian tell me you really can't tell how good you are until you've done a hundred shows at least because you see some of these comedians have done a thousand shows they'll do four shows in one night that's insane but when you know what your set is and you can kind of bring things in and out and on the weekend they told me right before I went on you have five minutes. You get the light at four. So they put the light on when you have to wrap up. That's when you start telling your closer. Well, first of all, I didn't know where the light was. So I was like looking. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good. There's no light on. And then I was like, oh, gosh. I looked up and I was over. But um, in my head, I had to take out a bunch of jokes that I had wrote the night before. And I was like, oh, great. Like, these were good. But they say, like, what is the line? Something like you, you have to be able to, like, um, kill your darlings, essentially. Like mm-hmm. you, ha- you have to be able to cut a joke and get rid of it. And even if you think it's the best thing ever, it's dead. It's done. And also, I realized had I been a better comic, I would have ended on this amazing laugh I got, really destroying the Knicks and <laughs> just been like, "All right, I'm Julie Stewart Banks. Yeah, <laughs> see you guys." But then I kept going, <laughs> and it it was good. It was good. But that would have been a really nice one to end yeah. on. So. It's all just experience, like, right. you know, it's all just an extra skill and and whatever, so. No, that makes total sense,
0: just the amount of reps. I mean, like, that's kind of what we've always learned in TV, mm-hmm. you know, just the more reps, the better. Um, now, if people out there would like to see you in person here <laughs> in New York, what is the easiest way to do that?
1: Um, well, I'm starting to get a little more comfortable with, like, actually inviting people because someone told me, don't invite anyone yet. Because you don't want people to see you right now because you suck. But <laughs> I realized that I think having a bit of the background of I trick people in a way. Like I'm comfortable on stage yeah. that I think people think I'm better than I am because I I almost borrow from a John Mulaney in that he is very polished when he does his stuff. Like there's no ums or ahs, which are also a strategy I've learned from comics that a lot of comics will make it seem as though... They're just coming up with it on the spot, right? They're like, "Uh, ah, have you guys seen this, right? But they would have planned that all out. Whereas me, I'm just like, I know what I want to say. As I said, I don't have any ums and ahs. I'm performing, Mm -hmm. which is not great, but it makes people think that you're better than you are. So saying that, uh, follow me on Instagram, juliesb underscore, and I will be posting stuff on there. I'm hoping to do... I'm hoping to keep it going, like as much as possible. Do some more of these New York comedy club ones because they were great, and see where it goes from there. So,
0: well, Julie Stewart Banks, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Good luck with everything, and thank you.
1: Thank you, and sorry guys for for a lot of talking right there, but uh, it's been a while, so you know I made up for lost time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Julie Stewart-Binks as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. See you next time.